My guest has written his story in a book called Forgiving the Nightmare. We'll visit about how you forgive when you've been wounded deeply. Have you ever thought about the trauma of unforgiveness? Could your trauma of unforgiveness be holding you to the hurts in your past? Welcome. This is the Unconventional Ministry Podcast, where the conversation is about fresh ideas in ministry, innovative approaches, and collaborative efforts. I'm your host, Dennis Weens, Vice President for Ministry Partnerships at SAT7 USA. My guest today is Pastor Mark Soresby, and Mark is an ordained pastor with the Assemblies of God. He's pastored for over 25 years, and he's currently the pastor of Calvary Community Church in Dudley, Massachusetts. So, Pastor Mark, welcome to the Unconventional Ministry Podcast. Hi, thanks for having me today. It's an honor to be with you. It's great to have you, and thank you for reaching out. You know, we're going to talk about the trauma of unforgiveness and how it's holding many people back uh, to their hurts. But you've written a book about your story, Forgiving the Nightmare. So let's just start by, you know, who you are, your pastor, but uh, you've written about your past. Just give us a little indication of where you're coming from, and then we'll start talking about the trauma of unforgiveness. Sure. Thank you again for allowing me to share my testimony. It's an honor and a blessing to be able to speak to you and your audience today. You know, who am I? I'm a regular Joe, I think. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a friend. I'm a pastor. I pay the bills, all those high gas prices like everybody else is paying and just trying to love my neighbor and be a good citizen. So who am I? Just a regular guy, I think. But I have a a story that lifts up the name of Jesus. Unfortunately, from the ages of 7 to 14, I was horribly abused. My, my, my mother would marry a man that was 20 years her younger, and he would come into our home, and he would abuse. He abused in many ways, shape, and form with his mouth, his actions, his tongue. But he really, I was really the focus of his abuse. So he abused me both emo- emotionally, mentally, verbally, and sexually. And as he abused me for those seven years, he sold me to others to be abused. He stabbed, he burnt, he lied, he robbed from me, those things that made me up. So he took a pound of my flesh, but he also stole from me my dignity, my self-worth, my value, and left me very insecure and frightened. And for many years, those those patterns were a part of my life because of the depth of the abuse that took place. And the years when I was supposed to be being raised and developing, I learned to duck and survive. So I did not learn the skills to grow. I learned how to survive and how to hide and and keep those feelings within. People say to me, how did you feel back then? I felt every way, any way anybody else would feel. I felt angry. I felt mad. I felt sad. I wanted revenge. I was confused, but mostly I was numb. I felt empty. I felt empty. I was just a shell. And that's how my life was from seven to 14. You know, you went through a lot of trauma. How prevalent is this level of trauma in American culture today? Because you've done a lot of work, you do a lot of research, you've, you've come to a place of healing and forgiveness. But as you've looked at this issue, how prevalent is this level of trauma in our culture? Well, it's very prevalent. I think it's around almost every corner. And regardless of what brought the trauma in, and I think that's where kind of our society bounces left and right. You know, this happened, that happened. I, and we're always kind of comparing the event, 
But what, regardless of what brought the trauma in, we're all dealing with trauma. I call it a nightmare. That's why I named my book Forgiving the Nightmare. We all have a nightmare, something we went through, something that tried to shape us and form us, something they're holding on to, something that's, that's stolen our trust and stolen our value and stolen our voice. So it holds us down and it keeps us contained and trapped into this process that trauma brings. And it's usually responding out of fear. And I'd like to be a person who tries to respond out of faith. You know, you talk about the trauma of unforgiveness that's holding many people to their hurts. We want to talk about the solution, but first explain this uh, concept, biblical concept of trauma of unforgiveness. Sure. You know, first of all, let me just back up a little bit and say, as Christians, we know the verses about forgiveness. We read them, we understand them, we're convicted by them. And I believe that many Christians desire to forgive the wounds and the hurts and the trespasses that came against them because that's what Christ did for us. So it's the right motivation and it's the right place to be. And it's a right, it's a correct desire. Unfortunately, I think sometimes the church fails in how we present that. We represent one aspect of forgiveness and not the wholeness. So I kind of use the the image of a computer. A computer has a default mode. You know, when you when you have to clean up your computer or you shut it down or you wipe something out, it goes back to that original setting. And I think sometimes Christians want to just go back to that original setting of saying, because I've been forgiven by God, I want to forgive others. But we never deal with it emotionally. We never deal with it physically. We never deal with it psychologically. And we're praying on it every day, but it's it has so many other facets to it. So what happens? We bury it. And we have a facade of forgiveness, one that was birthed out of the correct desire, but yet one that has not fully impacted the person. So if you spend any time in church, you know you meet people, then that anger is right under the surface. You just scratch it, it pours out. You say the wrong word, you look at the wrong way, you sit on their seat, right? And it just pours out of them. So I think as the church, we have to do a better job in understanding the whole process of forgiveness. And as the believer, we have to give ourselves grace to be able to forgive in all the processes of forgiving, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, physically, and all the aspects. So when we don't forgive and we're holding on to a shadow or an image of forgiveness, then we're deceiving ourselves or allowing the enemy to deceive us and we're still trapped. And that's what I talk about the tragedy or or, or this unforgiveness that many of us carry around, we ha- we're confessing it, which is good and noble. But at the same time, we're not practicing it because it hasn't impacted all of our all of our heart. That leads me to my next question: Is you know we know you went through tremendous levels of trauma, but now talk to us about how did the process of healing, this process of forgiving the nightmare. How did that process start? Was it people outside or did you find something that you were able to start that process? Well, it's a combination of both. Isn't that how God works, right? Not only does he use his word and his spirit, but he confirms it with others and processes and people. So it was a combination of both that came into my life who taught me and showed me and led me to this 
wonderful gift of forgiveness. But let me first say it was not easy. It wasn't a one-day event. It's been a journey I've been on my whole adult life since I accepted Christ. At 15 years old, I have been on this journey. You know, it wasn't that I said a prayer and it all went away. I had to grow. I matured. I made mistakes. I have regrets. I took one step forward, two steps back. So again, it's not just, hey, I went to church. I put two bucks in the plate. I said a prayer. I went to the altar and everything was good. Again, there was moments and seasons and processes that brought me to a place of forgiveness. So, you know, when you ask God hard questions, sometimes you get hard answers. And those hard answers are sometimes hard to deal with. And we have to walk through that and be sober in our thought and honest with our God. And and I think one of the things that gets stolen from anybody that's gone through tragedy, anybody that has a nightmare, one of the first casualties is trust. We don't want to trust anybody. We don't want to trust our family. We don't want to trust our processes. We don't want to trust the organization. We definitely don't want to trust the church or the preacher or the missionary or the or anything like that, we don't want to trust God. Because when we trusted, somebody betrayed us. They betrayed us with their words, their actions, and their deeds, and left us broken. So we build up walls, and we build up process where it's about me, myself, and I. So as God begins to tear down those walls, it's hard because we want to put them right back up, because that's what we trust in, our processes. But when we let go and let God, and it's slow, and it's meticulous, it's step-by-step, precept-by-precept, and it's the still small voice, the small step, one day at a time. With your level of trauma, weren't there indications that your peers or adults in your life should have noticed? They should Uh, have. And, And let me just say this, you know, I believe I came out of the last generation that this stuff was held behind closed doors. There's a generation prior to me, I'm in my early 50s, and my mother came from a generation like that. And maybe some of your listeners will understand that, that if you didn't talk about it, it didn't happen. That's kind of the way the culture was, at least where I was from, that that you never let your dirty laundry go outside the door. You never even talked about your dirty laundry inside the family. And that's the generation my mom came from. So therefore, she passed it on to us. Now, today, it's not like that. I thank God for all the support and advocacy and people that are there to help victims and the awareness of what victimhood looks like. But I believe from 1977 to 1984, I was that last generation where if you didn't talk about it, it didn't happen. It was wrong. It was poor. It was bad. But that's kind of where we were as a culture. What are some indications that we should be looking for or would indicate that there's trauma in somebody's life? Well, I think the Bible talks about what's in a man's heart comes out of his mouth. And even though the the victim usually doesn't say, hi, I'm a victim, I believe trauma, the language of trauma, the language of need, help, hurt, pain will pour out of them in one way or another. So let us have ears to hear, not not just what we want to hear, but let us listen Sometimes that's the best thing you can do for the victim is just listen. Now, sometimes, especially in the church, we want to resolve, 
right? We want to give a word. We want to give a scripture. We want to give advice. We want to promote you to the next place. But sometimes the victim just needs you to listen. And they're not going to talk in King James. And they're not going to talk in Bible ease. They're just going to pour it out. So again, not only does it come out of the mouth, but I think it comes out in actions. You see somebody withdrawn. Not, of course, this isn't an exact science. There's always extremes on the other side. It's just because somebody's withdrawn doesn't mean they're a victim. But I think with somebody that's withdrawn or they're crying out for attention, and there's different ways to recognize it. But again, I thank God for the, the advocacy and support groups out there that are, are learning and, and understand how to recognize this far more than they ever did. I want to encourage our podcast listeners, if you know somebody that's going through trauma or there's indications that there's trauma, uh, forward this podcast to them, and we're going to give some resources here. Be sure that they receive the resources as well. You know, some of our listeners now may be in trauma that they've never talked about. What would be some first steps for them uh, to get started on this path to healing and forgiveness? Well, the first thing the enemy loves to do, when I say the enemy, I mean the devil, the one, the one, the, the lion that roars to kill and destroy, loves to isolate. So the first lie of many lies the enemy likes to tell us is you're the only one. You're the only one that's gone through this trauma. You're the only one that's gone through this problem. You're the only one that's gone through this pain. And 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 because he loves to isolate us, and, and that isolation, we're afraid to let it out because of shame, and we don't want to be perceived weak or small. Maybe we were hurt by somebody that we trusted or other people trusted, so we keep it we keep it to ourselves. But the first thing I would say is the truth sets us free. I didn't say that. Jesus did. So find somebody that you can go to and you can let this truth be truth out because the biggest lie is to be isolated. There's people in our lives, pastors, coaches, friends, missionaries that are there for us that are going to help us through. You're not the only one that's been through an addiction, a death, a divorce, an abuse, a bankruptcy. You've not been the only one. We are all carrying pains. And again, the enemy would love to isolate us to say you're the only one to keep that trauma that forms all these psychological processes in, and oftentimes we walk in the brokenness and not the wholeness of God's grace. You're a pastor. You've been a pastor for 25 years. What's the role of the church, or what are some things the local church can do to help people, even though they haven't come out and started talking about it? What can the local church do to help people uh, where they are? Well, that's a great question, and I thank God I'm a pastor, and I thank God for my my fellowship. I thank God for the local church. I like Sunday mornings. I like fellowshipping with my, my friends in church. But I'll tell you, I think some things the church does well is that we really get a hold of that repenting process of forgiveness. You know, come to God, ask the Lord, forgive you for your sins, and you are forgiven. Believe in your heart, repent of your sin, and you are forgiven. Now, I'll tell you, I don't think the church does a good job in the whole process of forgiveness. In one aspect, we do good. And I think sometimes the church needs to uh, listen more and be more of an advocacy and be, also be able to give support for counseling and for coaching and processes for those that are, are there. We know one, one sliver, which is important, which is, in, which is in demand. We need to preach that sliver, but we kind of need to broaden our preaching sometimes to realize that forgiveness is a multi-faceted issue. 
You've written a book called Forgiving the Nightmare. Talk to us about that book and uh, the resources that are available in reading that book. And also on your website, I'm sure there's some uh, really valuable resources that will help people uh, walk through this trauma of unforgiveness that really is holding so many people back. Sure. You know, the book is my story. The book is my testimony, my process. It's been my life story, what I went through. And I kind of come from the perspective, if God can touch me, if God can come into my heart, if God can rescue me out of that miry clay, believe me, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I don't have a bunch of titles before or after my name. I'm a regular Joe. And if God can do it for me, this broken kid who most of his life felt like dirt, then I know God can do it for others. So I wrote this book purely out of obedience to the Lord. I'm a dyslexic. That was one of the things that I struggled with as I, as I was going through my trauma in my early years. Uh, academia and education was something that suffered, and I never got the support and help to help me through my dyslexia. So here I am, this dyslexic 50-year-old man, and God says, write a book. It, it was a miracle. So what did I write about? I wrote about what God did in my life. I try not to be an expert. I try to be a peer, a friend. I'm a pastor. I'm somebody to say, guess what? God can move in my life. So my book's a little bit about my story. I try not to get too graphic or sensational. I say, listen, I was hurt. I was abused. But this is what God did with me. I talk about how the victimhood tried to own me. I talked about how the brokenness tried to consume me. I talked about how the fear tried to trap me. But when God set me free, that's what I talk about in the book. And the way way I illustrate that in the book is I talk about a mountain. And I say, you know, most of my life I waked up and I was waiting for the mountain of hurt, pain, and rejection to be gone. I was waiting for that mountain to disappear, that I would wake up and now the past would no longer echo into my future or even have a hold on me. To be honest with you, brother, some days I wake up and my past is right before me. The familiar sounds and triggers of my my past is still trying to capture me. But you know what? I don't have to be that anymore. The narrative is, yes, I was an abused victim, and that will never go away if I'm intellectually honest. I was abused, and that's what I went through, but it doesn't have to be my identity. So now what happened, even though that mountain of pain never went away, even though that mountain of sorrow still tries to raise up its head, what happened in my life is God became bigger. The mountain of God, the mountain of God's love and grace and mercy became greater and bigger than the mountain of sorrow. And I say that knowing how big that mountain of rejection, hurt, and abuse, and fear is. It was a huge mountain and still is a huge mountain, but God is bigger. So I wrote about that in my book. I wrote about my life, and then I wrote about some processes. I call them trail markers because I really like to hike mountains. And I like to hike and you have to follow the trail markers or you get lost. So I put about 10 steps. I talk about prayer. I talk about reading the Bible. I talk about forgiveness. I talk about having friends. I talk about honesty. I talk about all these different processes in my book, Forgiving the Nightmare, that helps us walk through the process of forgiveness. If you go to our website, forgivingthenightmare.com, you'll find some resources, some great organizations that are 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 pointing to advocacy and support counselors and, and just great support groups. I'm a guy going, I went through it and I'm not alone. And my story may bring you a little bit of peace. It's not a huge book. I've been told it's an inspiring book. I wrote it for guys like me, guys that probably didn't read so well and guys that didn't have a lot of time. It's a book that kind of gets into it and says, God can do the miraculous. I believe in miracles. 
And I believe God can heal in a twinkling of an eye. But sometimes, like me, your miracle comes through your process. And that's what happened in my life. My miracle came through my process. It was hard. It was difficult. It was filled with tears, sweat, crying out. There was good days and bad days. But God set me free. And I still walk in it today, the freedom by faith in Jesus Christ. Well, thank you for sharing your story, and I encourage everybody to go to that website, forgivingthenightmare.com. It's that simple. You can Google it and uh, look for it if you don't remember the exact wording, but forgivingthenightmare.com. Get the book. uh, Look at those 10 steps if you're in that trauma and you're in the trauma of unforgiveness. Uh, We don't want you to be held back anymore, so get that. Talk to your church. Uh, See what uh, resources your local church offers and uh, suggest this podcast to them as well. So, Mark, thank you for uh, coming on. I know when you reached out to me, you said your idea wasn't so unconventional, uh, but uh, forgiveness should be forefront for the Christian, but so many times uh, the trauma of unforgiveness becomes the story, and so we Thank you for reaching out. It's an important uh, topic to talk about, and I just trust that this uh, conversation will encourage many to start that process of healing uh, in the trauma of their past as well. So, Mark, thank you, and God bless uh, as you uh, continue in your ministry and continue talking about your story. God bless you. Thank you for having me. In our changing world, there are more ways than ever to do ministry. SAT7, as a broadcast media ministry, is changing how ministry is done. Through innovative approaches, collaborative efforts, broadcast satellite television, web streaming, and social media, SAT7 is making a difference. Visit SAT7 online today at sat7usa.org to learn ways you can be a part of this kingdom work. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please share it with your friends. If you know of an unconventional ministry approach, please introduce us. We'd like to have them on as guests. Thank you again for joining this episode of the Unconventional Ministry Podcast.